Hello, my name is Jeff Farrell, and this is the third in our series of podcasts in which we talk about topical technology issues in the 5G and satellite industry. You can also read or download a written version of these talks from our website, rtconline.com. This month, we're developing a narrative previously covered in our August 2016 technology topic, Satellite Spectrum and Standards, which highlighted the developing interdependency of the 5G and satellite industry in terms of technology innovation, technology standardisation and spectrum but this time with more attention on the need to achieve cross-amortisation across RF platforms, including point-to-point backhaul. RF hardware commonality is a function of spectrum allocation. Spectrum allocation is determined by a mix of macroeconomic and political factors. However, allocation and auction policy also needs to comprehend the bandwidth requirements of the technologies being deployed. This includes the channel bandwidth under passband, the guard bands, determined by protection ratios, and, in FDD band plans, the duplex gap. Auction policy is also influenced by competition policy. In mobile broadband terrestrial networks, this has meant that a mix of narrow band, 200kHz, and wider band, 5 and 10 MHz channels, supporting five operators in a market, typically requires a sub-1 GHz passband of at least 35 by 35 MHz. At 900 MHz, a 35 MHz passband has a bandwidth ratio of 3.8%, comfortably within the limits of acoustic filters. The 35 MHz band allocated in the recent US Incentive 600 MHz auction has a bandwidth ratio of 5.8%. This is outside the comfortable performance limits of an acoustic filter. A need to coexist with adjacent high-power TV will also incur additional filter loss in user devices. The 45 MHz passband in the APT band, that's band 28 to 700 MHz, has similar challenges. Wider passbands incur performance loss due to the degradation of filter queue and noise matching and power matching loss and require more dynamic range on the receive path to avoid desensitization. Performance will also vary across the band. This at least partly explains the relatively low prices achieved for the 600 MHz auction. LTE Advanced introduces wider bandwidth requirements with an aggregated channel bandwidth of up to 100 MHz, requiring multiple passbands to be supported simultaneously. The multiplexing needed for interband channel aggregation results in significant user device performance loss when operating on a single duplex pair. So performance gain in terms of peak data rate is traded against a reduction in range and a reduction in capacity and lower power efficiency. The peak to average envelope variation for intraband channel aggregation is challenging for the PA and the envelope tracking and digital pre-distortion just adds noise into the receive path. This performance loss compromises range, that's data reach, capacity and battery duty cycle. 5G, deployed as a mobile or fixed access network, has maximum data rates that require channel bandwidths of the order of 250 MHz. On the basis of multiple operators continuing to own their own spectrum, this implies a passband of 1 GHz. The Release 15 standards process is assuming that 5G can and should be deployed in sub-6 GHz spectrum, but it is hard to see how 250 MHz channels could ever be supported power efficiently at these longer wavelengths. 
The combination of extreme bandwidth ratios and antenna and matching inefficiencies will impact significantly on the link budget. The Achilles heel of all existing cellular networks is that they send most of their RF power in the wrong direction, either sideways or backwards. This can be resolved more efficiently by moving to the centimetre and millimetre bands. However, the centimetre and millimetre bands will only be economically sustainable if deployed globally with harmonised spectrum and standards to allow the potential scale benefits of mobile and fixed broadband, backhaul and satellite access integration to be realised. To be sustainable, 5G has to deliver a cost and performance gain over present and future 4G and legacy wide area mobile broadband systems. This is dependent on delivering isotropic gain from centimetre band and millimetre band fractional beam width antenna arrays, but is equally dependent on realising cost reduction by building on existing RF hardware platforms. The bands proposed by the FCC and the ITU for 5G directly overlap existing point-to-point -point microwave band allocations, satellite and space allocations, and civilian and military radar. With the exception of the 28 GHz band proposed by the FCC as a core band and excluded from study by the ITU, there is reasonable commonality between the FCC and ITU on preferred candidate bands, which means that global economies of scale can potentially be achieved. Arguably, the company's best place to deliver cost-competitive 5G products are the companies already delivering point-to-point -point hardware, satellite RF hardware and radar RF hardware into these bands. This includes some but not all of the existing LTE vendor community and a mix of other large and small and some very small suppliers who are presently less obvious as potential 5G hardware vendors. The ITU has identified 33.8 gigahertz of centimetre band and millimetre band spectrum to be studied as potential 5G spectrum for discussion at the next World Radio Congress in 2019. With the exception of the 28 gigahertz band, the FCC proposals are similar though not identical. They have different passbands, for example. There's also a present lack of clarity as to how the potential bands at 70 and 80 gigahertz, either side of the automotive radar bands, might be allocated and managed. The FCC are proposing the extension of the 60 gigahertz unlicensed band from 57 to 71 gigahertz, but a licensed or shared access or likely licensed regime for 71 to 76 gigahertz and 81 to 86 gigahertz remains as an option. It would be useful to have the same bands, past bands and regulatory and licensing regime in the US and rest of the world, but this seems presently unlikely. Many of these bands are used by the satellite industry. Imarsat Global Express, high throughput satellites, for example, have a commercial uplink at 27.5 to 31 gigahertz, with a paired downlink at 70.7 to 21.2 gigahertz, and a military uplink at 30 gigahertz to 31 gigahertz, paired to a downlink at 20.2 GHz to 21.2 GHz. For point-to-point -point terrestrial backhaul, there are large regional variations both in terms of the ratio of microwave to fibre and the frequencies used for microwave. 38 GHz is presently one of the most highly utilised bands and likely to remain a core band for the foreseeable future. 26 GHz is also popular and utilisation of the 28 and 32 GHz bands is increasing. These new bands are needed for wider channels, for example 56 MHz and 112 MHz to support gigabit link rates. Emerging bands also include 40 GHz, sometimes described as Q-band, that's the WR22 waveguide designation, and E-band, 
from the WR12 waveguide designation at 71 to 76 gigahertz and 81 to 86 gigahertz. In the text version of this podcast, we reproduce the specification sheet from a Q-band and E-band backhaul transceiver supplied by RFCOM. The transceiver is fed by a 2-foot Cassegrain antenna which delivers 44 dB of gain from a 0.7 degree antenna at 40 GHz and 51 dB of gain from a 0.35 degree antenna at 70 to 80 GHz. The additional 7 dB of gain is equivalent to 14 dB, assuming the same antennas either end of the link. This more than offsets the additional propagation loss in clear sky conditions. Note some of the gain of the narrow beamwidth antenna may be offset by pointing loss. It is, of course, a relatively long journey to go from mast-mounted or roof-mounted RF hardware to a handheld 5G user device or compact, low-cost 5G no-B. But it is encouraging that the hardware exists as a basis for 5G product and network development. Integrating RF hardware would also provide the basis for moving terrestrial and satellite backhaul in-band. The one lesson that should have been learnt from 3G and 4G is that escalating development costs make it difficult to realise the product and network costs needed to service low ARPU markets. The ability for 5G to build on already proven and part or fully amortised RF hardware would help break this ultimately unsustainable model. You can learn more about these topics in a number of ways. Uh, You can come to one of our 5G and satellite workshops. There's examples of that on our website. Or you can buy our book, 5G Spectrum and Standards, published by Arctic House. But that's all for now. Look forward to talking to you again next month.